entering the Freedom Hut. Cops are involved in a fatal Atlanta shooting that has the city in turmoil. Gorsuch and the Supreme Court libs have redefined sex. Cuomo threatens to shut down New York City again. Is travel from Mexico spiking COVID cases? And an insider tells us about life inside Seattle's Chaz. Coming up. This This is the Buck Sexton Show. Where the mission mission is to decode what really matters. With actionable intelligence. Make make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Hope you had a good weekend. Thank you very much for joining. It is always an honor, a privilege, a pleasure. A lot of things happening. So the good news is we have much to get to today. Uh, The bad news is that most of it really is bad news. I I wish I could tell you that there were going to be some victory dances today for the economy, for freedom, for... Uh, law and order. But no, no. But we, we still have to get to what's gone on and work, work through it all. That's what we do here. That is our mission. That is our our plan. Uh, so the first thing that I wanted to get to is uh, this shooting that happened in Atlanta uh, with Rayshard Brooks. Now, there's a lot of video of this. So there's not a lot of question about what happened here i mean there there are some yes there are some angles we may wish to see additionally there are some components of of this incident that we'll want to get greater clarity on but overall we understand what happened and here here are the basics of this in case you haven't had a chance to catch up with this over the weekend uh rayshard brooks was found asleep in his car Uh, He was found asleep in his car outside of a Wendy's in Atlanta. And there was a whole lot of video of law enforcement having what is a very look. They're they're called because he was asleep and blocking his car, I believe, was blocking traffic. So he'd fallen asleep in his car, blocking traffic. And there's all this video, body cam footage, surveillance camera footage of uh, the cops going up to him. And it's a very professional exchange. The law enforcement officers are absolutely, there's two white male law enforcement officers. They are completely uh, by the book, you could say. Everything is going as you'd want it to. They are speaking to him. They are speaking to him respectfully. And they're asking him about whether he wants to have a, whether he will take a test or not for being uh, under the influence. You know, they want to see it essentially if he's a DUI. Now, the way it depends on state to state what you're talking, where you're talking about. But generally speaking, if you are found or I should say in some states, it's my understanding that if you're found in the driver's seat of a car and you have the keys in the car and you're drunk, that is considered a drunk driving risk and you can be arrested for that. Right. That's my understanding. I I, and again, this is getting into the the details of different state statutes. I'm not sure exactly what it is in Atlanta in in the state of Georgia, but I have I have a feeling that that's correct because the officers were then going to arrest him. Right. So they place his everything has proceeded and there's audio, there's video of all of this. Everything has proceeded exactly as would be not just expected, but it, it was really textbook. And then. Rayshard Brooks 
starts wrestling with the two officers and very quickly really overpowers. I mean, the guy's had a, he admits that he's had a few drinks. He says it was top shelf stuff. I mean, whatever, you know, and he goes, well, they go, what does that mean? He goes, oh, I don't know. So he's clearly a little drunk. He's able to overpower the two officers and get one of their, one of them pulls a stun gun to use on him. And they're saying, stop resisting, stop resisting. You're going to get tased. You're going to get tased. And when the officer goes to pull out the taser, the, uh, the, the suspect in this case, now deceased, Brooks, grabs the taser and is wrestling with him now, wrestling with the officer. This is all happening on video. Then Brooks manages to get away from the two officers. So he is running away from them, but he has taken one of their tasers. He is running away. He's taking a taser. This is all on video. You can see it. And then... He turns as the officers are yelling, stop, stop, stop. He turns and he very clearly pulls. And I believe, although it's tough to see this in the video, who definitely pulls and points the taser. I believe he actually tries to fire the taser at an officer. And the, an officer, the one whose taser had been taken, had uh, drawn his, his service weapon and fired three shots. And he killed Rayshard Brooks with those three shots. Now, this is a much more complicated uh, use of force situation and a much more defensible one from the officer's perspective, as in it is defensible. What happened to George Floyd was not. Uh, but this is, this is a, a defensible use of force case. At a minimum requires investigation and due process for the officers involved. Already fired. The officer's already fired, lost, lost his job. So the, the police department has sent a signal that this was a bad shoot right off, right off the bat. This is a bad shoot. The other officer who was merely there and wrestling with this guy has been, has been uh, put on leave. <clears throat> I'm assuming leave with pay. Otherwise, it would be a suspension. It's put, been put on leave while they investigate. But they already fired the first officer. They fired him. And now you have the district attorney saying there may be murder charges against that officer. Okay, well, let's let's unpack this a little bit. First of all, this is not like the George Floyd case. The only things that are the same in this case and the George Floyd case are you have a a a black suspect of a crime and a white law enforcement officer who used lethal force. The other details are massively different, and that's really important. There is no reason to believe at all that there was any racial animus in this incident. There is no reason to believe that these cops acted out of out of systemic racial hatred. In fact, the opposite is shown in the video. They are respectful and professional and polite to uh, to Rayshard Brooks and Rayshard Brooks for really no reason other than he's not. He decided he wasn't going to get arrested. Starts wrestling two cops. Once you start resisting arrest, you are inherently escalating the force that will be used to subdue you. Right. This is the first sin here. No question about it from the video. We have we have we have body cam footage. No question about it. The officers did this all by the book and then and were calmly uh, about to effect an arrest for driving under the influence. And Rayshard Brooks tries to run and then wrestles with them and then steals a, a weapon. A taser is a weapon. 
it is a less lethal weapon or, you know, or a non-lethal weapon, although it has caused, if you look at I mean, the ACLU has all these lawsuits and, and such, has raised all these concerns that it can cause uh, heart failure for somebody. But it's, it's clearly meant to be non-lethal. But, but here's the problem. If you're a law enforcement officer and you're carrying a service weapon on you and someone can use a taser against you, which will be very painful and is meant to incapacitate you, it is a very short leap from I have just tased this cop. Remember, you're think of how many of you be willing to wrestle a cop, take a weapon from a cop and then use the weapon on the cop. I'm just talking about the taser now. I'm guessing none of you because you're not criminal and not acting in a way that is insane and very reckless and very dangerous. So this guy had already done all of those things, used a taser on a law enforcement officer is our expectation. And this is this is the key question. This goes to the heart of all this. And we all know the politics around this right now. Oh, my gosh, it's toxic. It's you've got all these marches and cops are horrible and cops are the bad guys. That's what they're telling there, that's what's being spouted at all these protests all the time. And they present, oh, no, it's just about reform, man. It's just about justice. Please. We're not idiots. We see what's going on. The key question here is, are we now, because the facts are really not in dispute about this. Are we now going to expect law enforcement officers to get tased and incapacitated by a suspected criminal? And I'm wondering what we're going to find out about Mr. Rayshard Brooks's criminal history somehow this is never a part of the early discussion in incidents like this but it would be in any criminal trial it absolutely would be um and should be and it's it's still amazing to me how little attention has been paid in the media to uh the the speed with which they have punished this individual the speed with which they have uh, gone against this law enforcement officer means that there was no there was no due process for him. There was no investigation. But are we now claiming that a cop has to allow himself or herself to be tasered and then hope that the criminal will not go up, take their gun and execute them because cops do get killed. You do a quick Google search, you'll see it, it happens. It's one of the biggest threats that law enforcement officers face, actually. Because they're expected to use less than lethal force when someone's resisting arrest. So as a cop, you've got a gun on you. It's loaded. You're already dealing with somebody who may be bigger, stronger, a better, a better grappler. And can be and they can escalate force. The bad guy can escalate force as fast as, as he or she chooses. Right. The bad guy can decide, you know what? Yeah, I was just going to resist arrest. But now I'm going to bash this cop's head in with a rock. And it can happen in an instant. So now we're asking law enforcement to get tased, you know, writhing around on the ground, maybe get tased again by the assailant here and hope that that assailant, hope that the suspect, this person assaulted police officers. OK, they committed a crime. Forget about the DUI. That is illegal. That is a crime. I know right now you see all these protests. They're throwing rocks, sometimes Molotov cocktails. They're throwing rocks and and trash cans. And, and this is now being normalized. Like, you can just attack cops. No, that's a crime. It's a serious crime. So, so Richard Brooks attacked cops who were completely legitimate in the conduct of their duty up to the resisting of the arrest. No question about it. Watch the video. It's a textbook, textbook arrest. And now we're, we're what? We're expecting the cops to say, yeah, fine, just tase me. 
and I hope you don't I hope you don't execute me and I never get to see my wife and kids again uh, after this. I, I hope the I hope the person that was willing to attack cops and is drunk and who knows, maybe has you know, got other drugs in the system. We don't know yet, friends. I, I hope that the cop uh, or rather, I hope that the criminal doesn't kill me. I also want to know now, does that mean that that people can walk up to law enforcement officers, you know, the bad guys, if they're running out of a and this is a separate incident, but I just want to theorize this a little bit. If if they're trying to, you know, escape a bank robbery, are they allowed to shoot tasers at cops now that get in their way? You know, freeze. Oh, no, I'm just going for my taser. Don't worry, officer. I promise I won't kill you after you're on the ground writhing around incapacitated with 50,000 volts or whatever it is going through your system. Don't worry, officer. This is now, but we have a defund cops movement. We have cops are the bad people. Oh, that's right. There's, there's a better way to do community policing. What are these officers supposed to do? The left is insane and destructive and cannot stop pandering and lying in its quest to achieve the power to dictate every aspect of your life under the false promise of creating a utopian society that simply will never exist. And in the process of getting us there, they will destroy the load-bearing walls of our own society. They will undermine our very foundations. Whatever the left has to do to get power, they will do. And if that means making law enforcement the bad guys... In a country that has had declining rates of violent crime, a country where the cops have been winning, which benefits all of us. They've been winning for the last 30 years as a society, but they're not winning everywhere. There are some areas of the country where cops are still unable to get control of the criminal element. It's not their fault. And yet we think the answer is to make cops less able to do their jobs everywhere. This is wrong. It's vicious and it's evil. Uh, but you'll see Democrats and, and I want to get more into I mean, I, I actually think the media is the center of the greatest evils in the country. Uh, I actually think that that's real now. I've been thinking more and more about it. Scott Adams, who's a guy I, I don't even know his work very well. He's on Twitter. I think he might have been a, a cartoonist. Uh, that's my understanding. He tweeted this out and I saw this. I said, he's, you know, he's absolutely right. The media is really the center of the evil in all of this. They're creating false narratives and lies that people believe. Cops are not killing unarmed black men regularly for sport in this country. That is a lie. Anyone who says it is being reckless and is spreading hatred, is spreading fear, it's wrong. This, what happened in Atlanta, is not what happened in Minnesota. And to conflate the two, to pretend that they're the same situation and should have the same outrage is dishonest, and that's wrong. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I have people that verify. They, they made their order. I'm here right at the hotel home lodge in. You know, it's probably about maybe two minutes away from here. Did, did you understand what I asked you? Did you understand the question? Repeat it again for me. On a scale from 1 to 10, with 1 being completely sober and 10 being very impaired, how do you feel? I'm 10. I'm very impaired. You feel very impaired? Absolutely. I'm, I'm okay. I can I can do whatever. Like I said, I can I can, I can make it happen, sir. I, I, I don't think that means what you think it means. So 
One being completely sober, haven't drank anything, and ten being hammered drunk. How do you feel? I'm on a scale from one to ten. I'm one. You feel completely sober. I'm, I'm, I, like I said, I just woke you, up. You don't feel the effects of the alcohol that you had whatsoever. Absolutely not. not I, can, I can make it. I can make it wherever I need to be. I'm right here. Like I said, I'm home lodge, sir. Home lodge isn't close to me. It's right behind Home Lodge right here, ain't it? Where do you think you are right now? I'm on Old Dixie Highway. You're not on Old Dixie Highway. Well, I'm not on Old Dixie what Highway. What city do you think you're in? She brought me here. Saying that I was on Jonesboro. I have a so what city are you in? Atlanta. Atlanta. Yes, sir. On what road? Um, McDonald Boulevard. No. So you see, the officer here is establishing what in a court, and this is all on video and audio, would be beyond a reasonable doubt. I mean, uh, Rayshard Brooks. Now, this doesn't justify the use of force issue. I'm just saying that there was no animus here. They weren't go. This guy was clearly very drunk and planning on driving, which kills a lot of people all the time. So, you know, unless we're going to say that now DUI is fine because social justice uh, the officers were right to be concerned here and to effect an arrest. OK, so let's establish that this isn't this isn't passing a forged $20 bill. Uh, this is somebody who's clearly wasted. OK, the guy doesn't know where he is. He's clearly very drunk. He was in his car. He's telling officers, yeah, I'm just going to drive home. Don't worry, I'm fine. And they're going to arrest him now. So we've established everything the cops have done up to this point has been lawful by the book, respectful as well. The whole, the whole thing, we have the whole audio body cam footage. And then Rayshard Brooks decides to fight two cops, to take a weapon from one of the cops and use the weapon on one of the cops. Now, it is not a lethal weapon, but neither is a baton until it is, right? Would you, would you want an officer to get smacked in the face with a nightstick? If someone's running at them? No, no, no. You got to take a few cracks on the skull from from a person who's already assaulting officers. You know, this is what this is the real debate. What is acceptable use of force? Is it terrible that Rayshard Brooks died? Yeah, man, this guy, this guy shouldn't have died. But it's also not the cops fault for defending themselves. And yes, they're going to say that he was shot. I've seen this. It's been ruled a homicide. He was shot two times in the back. Right. He was shot in the back. He had turned, it's all on video, he had turned and tried to use the taser on an officer as he was running away. Well, I mean, what, what, are, what is the expectation we have from cops here? Get tased. That's what we're telling them. Get tased and hope that the, the guy doesn't turn around. He's only, what, 10 or 15 feet away. Turn around and come get your gun. That's that's what the left, the Democrats, the media, that seems to be the standard. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think there's no question that the shooting in Atlanta is going to uh, energize the Black Lives Matter movement. I, I think that's quite that's quite clear. Um, it already has resulted in the uh, Wendy's where the shooting happened uh, being looted and destroyed, well, destroyed, I shouldn't say looted, and being uh, riots uh, completely ruined it. I think it was burnt out, but yeah, they, they destroyed the Wendy's and there was some other, uh, you know, violence and, and, and riots in Atlanta. I mean, you know, you, you, you never hear much media coverage of that, do you? 
you never really see what happens when the stuff is is bad. Uh, There were riots in Atlanta, and yet there's not much media coverage of it, which I think is very interesting, isn't it? But wouldn't that be, yeah, rioters burn Atlanta Wendy's to the ground following the death of Rayshard Brooks. I believe it was uh, not that this... It only matters insofar as the left determines that there are certain people who need to suffer for our collective sins. And generally, that, that, that doesn't include minority business owners. Uh, but I believe this was a minority-owned uh, Wendy's franchise. So, you know, you would think that people... Um, you would think that people would understand at this point the media is, in fact, uh, the enemy of the people. Uh, the, the media is taking an approach where whatever they can do to make Americans angry at each other, frightened, scared, and, and the enemy is anyone who does not go along with this, right? Anyone who says, wait, hold on a second. Why are you pretending that cops are racist murderers? It's not just for ratings. There are other ways to get ratings. Why are you pretending that uh, there hasn't been a tremendous amount of racial progress in this country and it's something that Americans should look on with pride? That we've, we've come to a place now where every American I know is not a racist. Isn't, isn't, that a nice, isn't that a nice thing to be able to say, be able to think about, and, oh, wow, look at this. This is the country we live in. And as that has happened, as we have reached this point, and I know that you could say that that's anecdotal, but... Well, that's quite a statement to make then from the left that we're living in a place of, of systemic racism. I mean, Larry Kudlow, God bless him, was willing to say, I don't I don't see this as I don't see this as a country where there's systemic racism, where the system is producing on purpose uh, racist outcomes. In fact, the only intentional racial disparity in law this is a fact is meant to elevate and and assist non-white specific non-white minorities through affirmative action and other programs that is the only that is the only place this is a fact this is the only place as a matter of law that there are racially discriminatory outcomes and it is to the benefit of racial minorities people can try to argue that but there's there is no other place in law you could point to and we will discuss the big supreme court ruling that came down in just which i think is the wrong the wrong ruling and it's going to set up a whole lot of problems uh, for Catholic affiliated institutions going forward, um, and, and really, just the, well, I don't, I don't want to get, a, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Um, so now we have another, another round of. Uh, we're going to have the the public mourning. We're going to have, I'm sure, what will look like state funerals for Rayshard Brooks, and there will be more angry uh, riots. You know, protests, if protests happen here in New York, I heard them over the weekend. If people really want, although put aside the fact that it's all spitting in the faces of everybody who's had their business shut down, who's been told to stay indoors, who's been having their rights trampled on for months because of social distancing. But just put aside that we'll get to that in, in a little bit. But people want to protest and they want to ch- walk around and chant and fine. They, they can do that all day long. I, I, I don't care. Right. I mean, it's they but when they violate the law and people make excuses for that and say, well, it's a mostly peaceful protest. Okay, What about the non-peaceful part? Why do we excuse this behavior? Why do we accept this? And remember that the 
the activist Antifa types, um, the, the people that are destroying and attacking cops, they get much more attention for the overall movement. They're serving a purpose for the movement. There, there is no cost that is paid by the movement, whether it's Black Lives Matter or now I think we even we could think of it more broadly. I mean, this is just the the mobilized left. Black Lives Matter is the vanguard of this broader movement. But over the weekend here in New York, there was a huge black trans lives matter movement. And now put aside for a moment the Supreme Court case that dealt with uh, LGBT issues, I would just note that I, I am not aware right now of a single case of an unarmed black transgender individual who has been killed by cops. So I thought this was all about police violence and the state and systemic racism. But now it's already there are other protests that are happening under the aegis of the movement. So this is this is what I've told you and you're seeing it. And there's no real way for them to I mean, they'll they'll ignore what I'm saying. They'll pretend it's not true, but it is very clear that this movement is about the broad scale mobilization of the forces of the far left that run the Democratic Party now that are the Democratic Party. There are just some Democrats that give cover to this. You know, there are some Democrats that are, oh, I'm a little more centrist or, you know, I need to get elected in Ohio or Michigan. So I'm not going to go on with all the most radical defund cops stuff. But sure enough, um, the movement uh, such as it is, is growing. And we are now understanding we're seeing more clearly than ever that this is effectively an anti-Trump movement meant to seize power. Uh, and, and they will lie about things. They will misrepresent. They will destroy. They will attack. Uh, they are ruining. I mean, the left is ruining New York City. And I know for a lot of you, you, you have a hard time crying any big tears for New York. But just remember that this is the largest metropolitan area in the United States. There is an enormous amount of wealth and power concentrated here. And it affects so much of the rest of the nation when it comes to media coverage, when it comes to corporate policy, when it comes, you know, you, you know, you may live in Oklahoma, but what people in, I was going to say in fancy offices, but no one's really in their offices these days, but what people in the, in the C-suite in New York City are deciding about policy, about the statements they're going to put out about cops and all the rest affects you wherever you are. There is, there is a, a spread of this from the city. And, and New York is being ruined right now. I mean, this place is uh, going to end up being a shell of its former self. And I'll get into some more of the reasons why that's happening. Uh, but for right now, I've just got to tell you, I am, uh, I am so angry at what we see from the mainstream media day in and day out. And, and I have been for a long time. But they're, they're reckless. I mean, they're reckless beyond words. They don't care about the damage that they're doing to people's lives. Um, there was a quite an exchange between uh, Jenna, Jenna Ellis, who is a lawyer affiliated with the Trump campaign, and Brian Stelter, who is, um, I would say he's like the court jester of CNN, except he's not funny. He's really a, a, a sad and, and pathetic and deeply insecure little man. And for whatever reason, Jeff Zucker has has platformed him in this way where we're supposed to listen to this whiny voiced uh, clown 
Again, clowns are funny, though. So stealthers, that's not even a good term for him. I don't know. And I, I don't know the man. I've seen his work once or twice. He's not talented. He's not good at television. He's not particularly bright. But here he is with Jenna Ellis, and she makes a very important point here that I've been making many times. Play clip six. Years. Someday you're going to regret you, this that, when your kids and your grandkids no, I'm look back at this truth. time and you use slurs and oh, smears like fake news to That's hurt news you know outlets. No, but debate, Brian, is Jenna, when you can't even come on. I think in 10 or 20 truth. years, no, if we just sit down on, and talk about really this, you're going to recognize Brian. how damaging it was. How and, damaging it was to use terms like fake I, news and to attack journalists who were trying to do their jobs. In 15 or 20 years? You're not trying to do your job. You're not a journalist, Brian. You're an activist. That's the problem. You have an agenda, and your agenda is anti-Trump. The American people see through that, and they are very really grateful that this president is finally holding the fake news media accountable because you're activists. You're not reporting fact and truth. You won't even say hmm. that as a general I, I, The reason why I think it's helpful to have these conversations shouldn't ever appear in a media outlet. Folks have gotten I mean, used to these that, alternative realities, and I think it's important we see there are alternative realities. There's alternative realities out there, that's for sure. Like CNN putting this complete uh, joke on television. Uh, Jenna Ellis is right. Selter is not a journalist. He's an activist. That's true. See, CNN is an activist organization. It is effectively an unregulated pack of the DNC. That's what CNN has become. Uh, but more than that, very troubling things are happening in this country, and people like Stelter and all the other anchors over at CNN are a bunch of narcissistic frauds who won't speak the truth about what is actually happening and instead just create narratives. I mean, I used to think that it was them reflecting back to the audience what their audience wants to see, but really what's happening is they are directing the narrative. They are at the front of the riot, so to speak. Go burn this. Go attack this. Go destroy this. Because they're creating the rage and the anger and they're directing it as it goes along. And they're not calling it out. They're not calling it out when it comes to this anti-cop hysteria. And they're certainly not calling it out when it comes to the double standards over COVID, which conservatives, my friends, I I don't know what it's going to take for us. I I thought we cared about liberty. I thought we were the individual rights and freedom matter ideology. And we're just going to get dictated to by these morons in state capitals all across the country. We're going to have people telling us. And now for some of you, I know you're saying, well, Buck, things are so much better in my state. It's not 100 percent better. Go fly on an airplane. We got a long way to go here because the lockdown libs see political benefit in the destruction, in the violence, in the undermining of our very society, the lockdown libs, the left, the Biden voters. That's right. These are Democrats. They see benefit in this pain and suffering and economic loss and authoritarianism and despair and psychological duress. All these things that are happening in the country right now, the lockdown libs are fueling the fire. They like it. They want to push it because then they think they'll be able to convince just enough people that Joe Biden will be our savior. They're appalling. They are appalling. I I actually think these people are contemptible human beings who are pushing these narratives. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. And you need to keep carrying forward with it every single day of your life. 
Black Trans Lives Matter was the protest out in Brooklyn over the weekend, the demonstration protest, whatever your preferred terminology is. Uh, There was video circulating with thousands and thousands of people in very close quarters. Now, now someone's going to have to explain this to me, okay? We've gone through months of being told that crowds spread COVID-19, and the CNN anchors, you can run endless clips of them. Cuomo, do your part. Be a good person. Come on. You know, if you want us to get back out and lift, bro, you got to do your part. All the, And that was the, the, the Fredo. That wasn't the governor. The governor talks a little bit more like this. You know, he's a little bit of a thug sometimes. But then he goes kind of down here and he goes, OK, I'm going to talk like this. But then he goes up here to say, I'm going to shut down restaurants. Don't make me come down there. Like, it's also cute, fun, and games. The destruction that's been going on here. They are stealing months of our lives. They are stealing people's ability to have funerals and and have weddings and to have these milestones, to have graduations. They've taken that from us. Oh, but when Black Trans Lives Matter wants to have a protest, do you think that any of the Democrat politicians out there who have been so quick to judge and demand and declare for months, because if you want to take additional risk that's not allowed COVID-19 means you're killing old people if you go outside and gather do you think any of them had words like that to say about what happened over the weekend in not just in Brooklyn there were protests here I heard the protesters walking past my uh, apartment once again no of of course not of course not What, what are we to make of this they don't really care you see that's the problem We've caught them, as I said we would. I told you we will, go into a, we will go to a phase where the moment the left wants there to be gatherings, they will just ignore those gatherings and the risk that they pose from COVID-19. And then they'll, the, the second that they don't like the notion of gatherings, Trump rallies coming to you later this week, the moment that all of a sudden it's not in their politi- political interest, they start abusing you know, they have these little these little pet epidemiologists that will come out and say, oh, well, I'm a I'm an epidemiologist and I think that this is really dangerous. Somehow, the only epidemiologists you ever hear from are like Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton donors. Those are the only ones that you ever see in public. Right. I know plenty of doctors who are like, look, this is a threat to old people. We can manage this. Uh, this is uh, something that society should not shut down for. Again, we shut down too long in the first place. We can push through this. We should push through this. I know plenty of doctors who will say that privately. But, oh, my gosh, if they come out publicly, the lockdown libs, the cancel left, all of a sudden, they come for you. The doctors have made a mockery of themselves in recent weeks, the ones who have come out and, and made claims on this. Oh, all of a sudden, COVID-19 isn't really they're going to tell us that there's a peak in cases before the Trump rallies happen. And they're not going to associate the peak. And I would also tell you that I've looked at the numbers very closely. These are very small upticks in in states where they've had a very overall low number of hospitalizations and deaths from this. But they're doing it because they're trying to put pressure on the Trump rallies and they're just going to forget all about the massive thousands and thousands of person protests that have been occurring. And they're going to pretend like that's not an enormous, assuming that you think that social distancing is still necessary, 
which I do not except in specified circumstances indoors and around people who are at high risk, which would be true of the flu as well. I would not go and visit elderly relatives if I thought it was possible that I had contracted flu and it was during the flu season. I would stay away. So it's really not that different from the world that we have been living in all along. No, this is different because they say you can't gather outdoors and you must always wear a mask. Unless you're a leftist, then you can do whatever you want. Burn down a building, go riot, do whatever you want. You know, social justice. Thanks for listening to the Bus, Sex, and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And, and that is why you saw the reaction from protesters. That is why the, the virulence of anger remains. Uh, activists are necessarily calling into question what's actually being done. And what I would say is that there is there is a legitimacy to this anger. There's a legitimacy to this outrage. A man was murdered because he was asleep in a drive through And we know that this is not an, an isolated occurrence. We also know that a man taking a taser from a police officer in Pennsylvania resulted in his arrest. But because this person was black, it resulted in his death. Those are conversations that have to be had not only through speeches, but through the decisions made by budget allocations. And I think that's the next conversation we have to have in Atlanta. Lots of lies here. Lots of uh, untruth from the uh, supposed governor of Georgia, except she lost. Oh, that's right. She lost. But the media still lets her go around saying she actually won that election. That's no problem. Stacey Abrams here. Uh, Notice the way that she says a man was killed because he fell asleep at a drive through. Is that is that why he was killed, everybody? Is that a true statement that that's why a man was killed because he fell asleep at a drive through? Is that why he was being arrested? Is that why he was shot? Do you see any pushback from the media on this? This is why I mean, the media is, you know, I, I think that one of the problems that we have is that for people like me, we're so um, we're so outnumbered. There's so many more masses in the lib media and there's so much uh, more corporate muscle behind them. Sponsors. Oh, all the biggest companies. Oh, yeah, we'll we'll advertise on MSNBC with those lunatics. But if you're a conservative, oh, that's that's trouble. Or we could get boycotted all the time. There's so much going for them. And so people like me end up being this voice of opposition, being a kind of ostracized insurgency within our own society. Because this is just the reality that we're living in. And there are so fewer of us that we end up saying the media, the media, the media. This has become uh, an almost manic fixation trying to push back on this. But they're the reason that people believe things like this. They're the reason that people believe that black uh, black men are being killed for falling asleep at a drive through. There will be individuals who hear that soundbite from Stacey Abrams and they don't think, oh, she's just being a little inflammatory or, oh, she's no. There will be some individuals, just give it time, who hear sound bites like that and do what we saw in Dallas but a few years ago where, where six cops were murdered by someone inspired by the rhetoric of Black Lives Matter. It will happen. It will happen again. But don't expect any conversations to happen now about Democrats poisoning the discussion of race relations in this country and just making it all so much more heated and angry and vicious than it should ever be. Don't expect any of that.
They're frauds. They're cowards, too. I mean, think of the people, you know, I, I do this often. Think of the people, you know, who are uh, generally elevated in conservative media. It's not true across the board. There are some fakers. There are some frauds. You know, there's some uh, there's some people that are really quick to uh, claim that they're beyond reproach in their personal lives. And it's not the case. Right. There are people who are just not not what they seem to be to some folks. But generally speaking, the conservatives that you see in media that are elevated are people of conscience and courage because it's tough. Oh, my gosh, it'd be so much easier to be on the other side. It's tough over here. On the left, the people that are elevated are often odious human beings. I mean, they're not good people, right? I mean, Keith, Keith, uh, what was this? I was going to, Keith, Miss um, Precious Perfect, who's that guy? He's Overman, like the worst human being ever. I mean, you hear all these stories. Anybody who knows fake Tapper will tell you the guy's a, a horrifying jerk. And some conservatives suck up to him, which is, a, which is just grotesque. Uh, also, you know, you just go down the list, go down the list of the people that are elevated over there, um, at CNN. And there's so many of them. Look at Cuomo. I don't have to tell you, just watch a video of him. Yeah. He's really tough when he's threatening somebody that he outweighs by about 70 pounds, who is six inches shorter than him. Really real, real tough guy. Uh, but anyway, the, the media just allows these corrosive and destructive narratives to flourish and, and pushes them to flourish. I shouldn't say allows. They, they make sure that this happens uh, to say that a man was murdered because he was asleep in a drive through is, is a lie. That's not that's not what happened here. And also to say that it was murder. I know the district attorney said there might be murder charges. What's what's the claim going to be? So, so now we're going to set a standard that you have to get. Uh, you have to allow a criminal to electrocute you as a cop because that's not going to kill you. It's just going to electrocute you uh, and, and hope they don't take your service weapon or just just, you know, kick your face in. When you're on the ground, make sure you have a brain hemorrhage and die that way. Then that's what that's the new expectation, because it's useful to live politically in this moment. Man, can I also note that if, if you're looking at the statistics? Yeah, I mean, uh, you have about roughly one or fewer unarmed black Americans killed in America every month by last year's statistics that, that might be around that this year, too. You've got double that amount of white Americans killed unarmed by cops. And I, I can't tell you how many journalists, people that are supposed to be trading in information and knowledge will throw up this uh, this argument of this wouldn't have happened if he were white. It happens to twice as many unarmed white people in America every year by the Washington Post statistics. So how can anyone be so stupid as to just assume, well, this wouldn't have happened? To me. No, unarmed white people get shot, too. And sometimes it's horrible and murder and criminal. Same thing with unarmed black people. It's horrible. It's murder. It's criminal. But we have to at least have a process, an investigation, and laws applied faithfully. No, instead we've got the mob. Feed the mob. Get the mob angry. And for those who are still trying to push this line that this is about reform, this isn't about defunding police. Well, here, here is... Ilhan Omar, who represents the district that I that was the most damaged in the riots, those horrific riots in Minneapolis. Here she is saying uh, that the Minneapolis PD, it's not about reform. Just just gut the whole thing. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Play four. You can't really reform um, a department that that is rotten to to the root. What you can do is 
rebuild. Uh, and so this is our opportunity, you know, as a city to come together, have the conversation of what public safety looks like, who enforces the most dangerous crimes that take place in our community. And just like San Francisco did, um, right now they're, they're, going, they're moving towards a process where there is a separation of the kind of uh, crimes that um, solicit the help of, you know, officers and, and the kind of crimes uh, that we should have someone else respond to. You can't reform a department that is rotten to the core. She is saying that every person who wears the uniform in Minneapolis, she's saying that they're all that they're all bad. They're all tainted by this. The whole department, everybody there, they're all racists. They're all bad people. They're not doing a tough, incredibly necessary job to make sure that all of us can walk the streets of our cities, of our towns in safety, to know that there's at least a chance that someone might come, especially for those of us who are disarmed, who have had our Second Amendment rights taken from us, like here in New York, in Chicago, places where there's still plenty of crime and no ability to defend yourself, unless you're going to grab a frying pan when the home invasion starts. Good luck with that. Many of us still want to be able to pick up a phone and call the cops and hope that there's some chance that they're going to arrive and save us. Many of us also recognize that that possibility prevents a whole lot of crime as well that the bad guys do a cost-benefit analysis. But if they know they can get away with things, guess what? They're more likely to do them. And this goes to the very core of the social obligation that the state has to its citizens, to its people, to protect us and to enforce the law. That is step one. That is step one. Step two is to protect our property, of course, but that's, that's these days. You know, profits over lives. You hear all these Marxist chants from the left. Uh, the... Defund cop movement is appalling and it's real. And the Democratic Party owns this. Don't let don't let them get away in a few months from what they've been saying now while they're trying to get their activist base fired up. And they're also distracting us, too. They're distracting us from the unbelievable hypocrisy that is underway right now, where they're trying to tell us that we still have to abide by social distancing except for the thousands and thousands of black trans live matter protesters. They can do whatever they want. De Blasio, the mayor of New York, is out marching with them, is out partaking in these events. And we're told that they might shut us down. You can't make this stuff up. I am starting to lose it over here, folks. The libs have completely lost their minds, and they think that we're crazy because we believe that what they said yesterday and were forcing us to do yesterday should still matter today. But no, all that matters, all that matters, politics. That's it. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I am warning today in a nice way consequences of your actions. We have 25,000 complaints statewide. I'm not going to turn a blind eye to them. New Yorkers deserve better. Manhattan and the Hamptons are the leading areas in the state with violations. These are not hard to spot violations. People send video of these violations just 
You can look it up on social media. You don't need a detective squad to go out and find it. They are rampant, and there's not enough enforcement. He's promising there's going to be more enforcement now. That's right. It's going to start going after businesses, going to pull their uh, restaurant liquor licenses if they don't enforce more. Remember, this is about social distancing. The people are out there that he's talking about. A lot of them are, are they're wearing masks, too. This is one of the ways they try to get they try to get away with the protest, with the flagrant, the flagrant hypocrisy. This is the way they try to get away. They're like, oh, well, the protests are wearing masks. Well, first of all, some of them are wearing masks so they can't be easily identified for their illegal behavior by the cops when they're rioting and looting and acting like barbarians. There's that. But then there's also, well, hold on a second, social distancing. I mean, if, if masks were enough that you didn't need any social distancing, then why the heck can't we open everything? Right? In fact, we were told by Dr. Fauci. I remember Fauci has told us many times over that the mitigation effort, the best part of the mitigation effort is the, the social distancing. You got to do it. You know, this is what the data tells us to do, the social distance. But, you know, if you wear a mask, maybe good, maybe not. I don't know. Wear a mask because why not? You know, covers your face, maybe keeps you from swallowing a mosquito or a gnat or other species of small insect that flies. Wear a mask. Uh. Well, hold on a second. Social distancing was the most important one. Protests are massive and flagrant violations of social distancing. That they think they're changing society and making it all better for us does not change the science, as Fauci would say. Oh, the data. Do you think that Governor Cuomo has such condescending, smug words about social distancing when it comes to protests? Oh! Of course not. Of course not. Because so because the protests are important. You going to your job, you being able to go to the gym, you being able to go see loved ones, go to a funeral, go to a wedding, go to a graduation. Graduations all could have happened. Everybody wears a mask, right? No, no, not allowed. Not allowed. Can't. Too risky. Too risky. What's happening right now? These protests, they will achieve nothing. They're all pretending they're going to remake society. And everything's all better. No, they're they're making people angrier, angrier at each other. But there's no good faith effort to reach out to the other side. There's no good faith effort from the media to try to bring people into a conversation. This is the most radical left wing Marxist positions imaginable foisted upon the American people. And using one one area of narrative, Black Lives Matter telling everybody that cops are killing unarmed black men in a systemic and continuous uh, way, using that as the, the tip of the spear for all of these other movements that really are just Marxism, it's just socialism, the left's remaking of society, destruction of the family. Destroying the family is, in fact, part of the plan here. It always has been. That's what the left wants. Because the family, you know, the, the family is that one place where we all understand at, at, a, at a basic level, one, that we want a society that functions well, not a society that we pretend functions well. We want a society where our children and our loved ones are protected. But, you know, if you're going to if you're going to tell people we can't have safe streets, but it's important for social justice, we don't want cops to get too rough with criminals. You're not going to have you're not going to have a safe family. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Um. 
but they they're willing to sacrifice you and your children and and your future and your rights to their vision right so the destruction of the family is very important in that it's also a place where the government clear when the government begins to violate uh, your rights when it comes to your family then you really chafe at that 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 enrages people in a way and it should and my family is more important to me than the government i love my family more than i love the government by a lot i don't love the government at all but you know what i mean in fact my family is more important to me than any government mandate my family is more important to me than any government law so that's why the destruction of family bonds this is what you saw in the soviet union is so necessary for the utopian project that the left is trying to force upon all of us. Isn't it fascinating that they are decrying the use of of state force as the primary method of advancing this movement, but then they turn around and the first moment they can, they will use state force against those who do not comply, right? So what we have here, we have an America where protesters are out there and as part of the protest there are riots that have happened and there are there's looting that happens and their big concern is that the cops are being too rough with those people meanwhile the cops will show up and tell you shut down your business i mean if they pull a liquor license you're done shut down your business you have no rights your property your savings it's all evaporating before your eyes and if you try to open your business anyway Men with guns will come in and shut it down. And you know what will happen if you say no, officer, and you try to push them out and say, I'm sorry, we're going we're gonna to operate our business in violation of social distancing. They're going to put hands on you and they're going to arrest you. So they will use the force of the state for authoritarian idiocy, shutting down restaurants, shutting down outdoor gatherings, all these things that have been happening. They're comfortable with that use of force. And then they turn around and focus in on a very small, by the statistics, use of police force against unarmed people. We'll just make it about unarmed people. And then below that, they'll even do a subset of just a focus on unarmed black people and their interactions with the police and pretend that this is the greatest social harm that's happening in this country. And that that's the big problem. No, they like they love force from the state as long as it is to enforce what they want and their vision for the country and their policies, which means the trampling of the Constitution, of individual rights, of property rights, you name it. All of that can be swept aside in the name of social justice, which is just a a warmed-over cultural Marxism that we continue to, to suffer through in this country. Instead of addressing problems and making things better, we have people that think just march and scream and that'll make it all that'll make it all work. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today was not a good day for the rule of law in this country. And no, I'm not talking about protests or riots right now although we certainly could. I'm talking about a 6-3 to Supreme Court decision, Bostock v. Clayton County. Uh, This is a a momentous Supreme Court decision that will have enormous implications for a lot of things in this country, and my friends, it will affect every single one of you listening to this right now, and your children and your children's children. This is a big one. Um, and there are so many different ways that I want to describe what's going on here or so many different aspects of this. Let's start with let's start with the basics. 
Uh, this is a case in which two, they, they put together really three different claims, three different cases. But the basics of it are that two individuals were fired from their jobs for being gay. And a third individual was fired from um, her job for being transgender. And we're going to get into the pronoun usage thing here, too, because this has this has a this is going to matter in ways that's going to affect even um, how conservatives are able to talk about these issues. Get ready for that. So by a six three ruling, the Supreme Court uh, and, and amazingly enough, Gorsuch writing for the majority here. Uh, Gorsuch writing for the majority has declared that Title seven of the 1960, 1964 Civil Rights Act uh, covers sexual discrimination based on any sexual orientation um, or sexual uh, identity. Right. So that's that's an enormous expansion of what had been thought to be the Civil Rights Act of 1964's intent. What I think is so so interesting and so disturbing about this is that Gorsuch, writing for the majority, admits that in 1960... And let's just... There, there's a lot of ways you, you could spend... Look, you could do a whole class just on this case and all the different... Uh, and, and I mean a whole course of study on this case and all the different uh, precedents. But the very basic... The, at, at the root of, the, of this issue is, does sex discrimination... As written in the 1964 Civil Rights Act, include people who are members of the LGBTQ community or not. Everyone understands and no one disagrees with this, that the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Title VII, addresses sex as an issue of male or female in employment. So you cannot discriminate against somebody who is male or who is female because of their gender distinction between those two genders. That has been known, it has been understood, and you know it has been known this way because Congress, the Democrats, the left, have repeatedly tried to pass legislation to add to the understanding of the 1960s, or to rather to add to the statute from 1964, uh, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Title VII, saying there's no discrimination on the basis of sex. And they have been unsuccessful in many cases. There are about, I think it's 20 states that still do not have specific protections. So this was a state-by-state issue that do not have protections uh, for discrimination in hiring and in employment based on LGBTQ status. Essentially, sexual attraction, sexual identity. Right. Those are as opposed to sex as male, female. That's what this that's what this issue is really about. Gorsuch writing for the majority here, joining all the libs, joining Sotomayor and, you know, uh, was was able to say that they they know that the law was passed just for men and women. But now they're going to reinterpret the law to include all these other things, too, that sex now has to mean anything touching on or dealing with sex, meaning gender. And so gender identity, gender dysphoria, gender attraction, same sex, etc. All of that is now covered under Title VII at a federal level. Whatever state you're in now, this is the law. Doesn't matter what, what your state legislatures have been passing for years and years. Now, you have... 
Kavanaugh dissenting because there's there's a few layers here. Kavanaugh dissenting in part or rather dissenting from the majority opinion, even though uh, even though he would agree with the outcome because. He says that, look, I think that people should be protected. And I think there will be many people that, that hold this point of view. I mean, I certainly would agree that no person who is uh, of the you know, same sex community should be discriminated against. Because of, of that attraction, because of that sexual orientation, shouldn't be discriminated against in hiring, right? That firing, firing somebody because they are gay is an odious thing to do. But what Kavanaugh is saying here is that you have to have statutory changes. You can't just say, I am going to take this law and pretend that it says something it doesn't say because I think that's a good thing. This is the living constitution, left wing, legislating from the bench argument, which is what has happened here. They are legislating from the bench Six to three. And the Supreme Court is now showing us once again that the left gets its way and does it even with the complicity of so-called conservative judges. Notice that the liberal judges on the court always know how they're supposed to vote on the big issues and never break ranks. But all you need is one or two conservatives who feel that pressure Oh, there's so much pressure. What's going to be written about them in the New York Times editorial page? What's going to be written about them in the history books? Oh, do you want to be a hero? Do you want to be celebrated as a civil rights icon? Well, not icon. You'll just be slightly less debased as an evil fascist if you're a conservative on the court, right? This will buy you a little bit of of goodwill, but not much, not much at all. And so this is showing us that the, uh, the, the reality here is the Supreme Court is essentially just another political fight. The Supreme Court is now all about what it is uh, that people want and that the law itself does not really matter. I mean, he, here's a very short summary. Justice Alito, with whom Justice Thomas joins, dissenting. So, so Kavanaugh dissents by saying, look, guys, this is not law. He's like, I like I like what it does. I want to protect people who are LGBTQ. But this is not. And that's I mean, the Gorsuch. What an astonishing, uh, really just undermining of core legal principles. He's he's a part of here and he's writing for the majority. Just, you know, those of you who are constitutionalists, a big knife in the back from Neil Gorsuch whom I unfortunately said some nice things to the president about, but a few weeks ago when he was talking to me about judges. And now I feel uh, I was wrong on that one. Gorsuch, stunning. But Alito and Thomas join, and this is the very beginning of their dissent. There is only one word for what the court has done today, legislation. The document that that the court releases is in the form of a judicial opinion interpreting a statute, but that is deceptive. That's right. They're they're writing a federal law here. They all agree that the law as passed by Congress did not intend and did not say at the time the thing that they are now claiming it covers and says. This is the same kind of violence to the law that we see done by decisions like Roe v. Wade. Oh, there's an inherent right to privacy that 
somehow is contained in the Constitution, even though we never saw it before. Now sex means anything touching on sex. A lot of things touch on sex, folks. This is going to be uh, quite a a decision that has uh, implications that stretch on for, for years, for decades, really. And it shows you that the left understands the stakes here. It, all, it also, I'm just going to say it, you know, for a lot of people that have pushed for the Trump presidency and said, look at the judges, look at the judges. What does the Federalist Society have to say about this one? Neil Gorsuch, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Federalist Society, and he just took a, she just took a sledgehammer to constitutional originalism. A sledgehammer. What does this mean going forward? Can't try, you know, and Gorsuch, he's already, you know, once you've crossed this Rubicon, once you've betrayed originalism, you'll do it again, you'll do it again, because why not? You're already shown who you are, which is somebody who wants to have a pat on the back, a little pat on the head from the left, from the libs, from the elite legal circles. They've taken over law schools too, folks. Ask anybody who's a conservative who's gotten a law degree in recent years, recent last decade or two. The law schools are every bit as liberal as the undergrad programs. The only difference is the law school leftists are learning to to undermine and distort and weaponize the law for the purposes of their vision of the country as this socialist utopia. That's what's happening, right? A social justice obsessed dystopia is what we're getting, but. They uh, they they always get their way. When was the last time you had a Supreme Court decision that came down, even though we're told the court is conservative and where you had Ginsburg on a big issue? Join the conservatives. Doesn't happen. Alito. I mean, sorry, uh, Sotomayor on a big issue. Join the conservatives. Doesn't happen. Nope. They can always because they're true ideologues. The left is about power and getting its way. They can always count on their judges to give them the rulings that their political side wants, irrespective of what the law, of what the text itself says, which is what we've seen here. This is as bad a Supreme Court decision as you can see, because the plain meaning, and they accept that the plain meaning of sex was male, female, that was it. And that was what Congress passed. That was the intent. That was what was written down. They're saying, well, now we're going to say that sex is a much broader thing that includes a whole lot of other stuff that we like. Justice Thomas, Justice Alito still have principles. What about the rest of these judges? Well, Sotomayor and Kagan and Ginsburg. How much of a how much of a a real victory can it feel like when we have Trump appointing judges when we know that conservative judges are not are not reliable? When it's really tight, when the politics are really strong, conservative judges will. And I'm not saying they're not reliable, like they should just give us what they want. They aban- uh, Gorsuch has abandoned the fundamental originalism that is supposed to be the bedrock of his constitutional interpretation, of his statutory review as a judge. Abandon it. I mean, this would be like me showing up being like, you know what, guys, vote Biden this fall. I mean, I just think that that's the way to go. You'd say, who kidnapped Buck and, you know, off mic, does somebody have a silenced pistol pointed at his head, right? You'd be like, what the heck is... And you'd be right to say that. I mean, Gorsuch, it's, it, this is... Unless he's making a hostage video when, when his staff... It's really the staff that writes his opinion. When they wrote this opinion, you'd be saying, how could he do this? How could he do this? Sure enough. 
sure enough, this has big implications right now. And I want to tell you what's coming. So that's that's the on, on a, just a pure legal. And I was reading the, the decision this morning with my coffee, trying not to spit it out all over the screen. Um, but there are implications of this and it will affect all of you. Every if you're listening to this anywhere in the United States right now to our foreign team, but like, hey, what's up? Don't worry. You guys don't have to worry about this for the rest of you. I want to tell you what is going to change and what you can expect that will matter to your church, to your school, to your kids, everything in a moment. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Team, I tell you not to bend the knee to the mob. And I stand behind that every day. And trust me, there have been plenty of times when I have been asked in one way or another or demanded that I bend the knee and I have refused to do so. Um, But there's also the respect for the rule of law that we have. And that's going to come into that's going to come into conflict very soon or right now, really. Based on the Supreme Court decision, here's something that I can assure you is going to become uh, very, very much enforced. I am now going to be expected uh, as a function of law. Unless I'm misreading something, I'm not a lawyer. I'm just a guy who reads a lot. But I have some brilliant constitutionally minded lawyer friends that I can always reach out to for advice, as I did this morning as well on this decision. And I, I ran this by one of them and he said that, yes, you're correct in your interpretation of this. That now if I uh, refer to a, uh, let's say, a colleague who is, who is a male, a biological male, as he instead of the preferred she, if that individual is transgender, I could be legally liable. I could be sued under federal discrimination law, thanks to the Supreme Court. So I am now in a position where I am to be forced into accepting and affirming a falsehood, a clear falsehood. Or I will be uh, subject to federal sanction. In fact, I wonder if even talking about this very soon will become itself a sanctionable offense. A man can claim to be a woman. A woman can claim to be a man. And you must affirm that with pronouns and in every way you talk about that individual or else. It's not about being polite anymore. It's about bend the knee because the law says so. I'm telling you, I'm getting pretty sick and tired of having the law tell me to bend the knee but i also will say to you we must pick we must pick when we storm that when we storm the trench so to speak and i am not an advocate for running into the machine gun fire unnecessarily so to speak we need to fight back on this issue but we have to be smart about how we do it and when we do it and then there's also this There is the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, the RFRA, which right now protects uh, if there's a compelling religious practice standard, uh, protects them from lawsuits, had protected them from lawsuits, uh, or at least was a defense against them for discrimination in transgender cases and and so on and LGBTQ uh, discrimination cases. Get ready for an avalanche of lawsuits, ACLU and everywhere else that are they're They're going to they're going to eliminate Catholic churches, Christian, traditional Christian churches. I know there's a lot of churches these days that are like social justice seminars, but traditional churches and particularly the Catholic church and any institutions affiliated with them, schools, daycare, you name it. uh, They're all about to get sued. 
This is a huge step toward the secular left's war on believing Christians. It's going to be overwhelmingly Christians. There will be some uh, Jewish uh, targeting, I'm sure, as well. But it won't be any Muslim targeting by the left, by the ACLU. But get ready for this. This is a huge step in the anti anti-faith war of the left. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. First, I want to assure the president that Seattle is fine. I'm not sure what he's so afraid of, and uh, what he's depicting to the nation just isn't true. I spent time in the area today talking to people, um, listening to their concerns, talking about what brought them there, what they want to see for our city and for community. I don't know why the president is so afraid of democracy. Um, free speech is part of who we are. It's how we started as a nation. Um, and I, we will be fine in Seattle. We don't need the president's help. Yeah, man, it's just free speech when people with guns seize an area of a city and say the cops no longer have authority there. Man, yeah, that's what the Seattle mayor, Jenny Durkin, has to say about the Chaz, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. Well, let's actually hear from somebody who really knows what's going on there because he was just there. He was inside the Chaz in Seattle, this little quasi-secessionist anarchist movement. We got Julio Rosas with us now. He is a senior writer at townhall.com. Julio, good to have you on, man. Welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me, Buck. I appreciate it. Uh, okay, tell us. You you were there. You were seeing the sights and sounds, and I'm sure the smells, because I remember what it was like at Occupy Wall Street. Tell me about it, man. What's going on in the Chaz in Seattle? So the, the latest development in the Chaz is actually that there's a, a growing momentum and a growing consensus to actually rename it to CHOP, which uh, could either stand for the Capitol Hill, uh, which is the neighborhood that it's in, the, the Capitol Hill occupied or Occupy protests. So, you know, similar to the Occupy Wall Street. Wait, they're going to call it Occupy? I, I said this was going to happen last week. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Look at that. Go ahead. Yeah, no, it, or the Capitol Hill uh, organized uh, protest, which, as, as I can tell you firsthand, it's not very well organized. It's starting to. It's starting to now just because they've been there for a while. But in the first week that, uh, that, it, that it was Chaz, it was not very well organized. Um, yeah, no. So part of the reason why they want to rename it from from the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone is because, as I've documented and as others have documented, uh, they're not very great at being an autonomous state. Uh, they're 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 very much still reliant on on the city and the state government. Um, I can, you know they're they're still using power and water uh, from the city. They 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 called the fire department to put out a actual dumpster fire that started right outside of the zone. Um, because it threatened to set the building that it was right next to on fire. Uh, the the city has provided porta potties and they're servicing them. <laughs> uh, uh, and so the, uh, naturally they're being made fun of for for not being an autonomous state. So that's so that's why they're trying to um, try to rebrand. So so, so they're so they're um, although, they're autonomous, someone, Julio. Someone made, someone made the joke that they're already rewriting history a weekend. Right. I mean, so they're autonomous in the way that kids who set up a tent in their parents' living room and say no one else allowed are autonomous. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not like they're being, they're being allowed to do this and they can always sneak into the kitchen, so to speak, and get a snack when they want. But, but I want to know, are they really blocking? Like do cops not go into this area? Will, Will they prevent law enforcement from entering? Because that's where this starts to feel like some Lord of the flies craziness. 
Yes. So uh, they they declared, like I said, they declared it as a cop-free zone. So on Friday, there was actually uh, some tension because two cops were allowed to enter into the zone uh, and half the crowd wanted to prevent and make sure that nothing happened to them to enter the East Precinct, which is where it's kind of the whole centered around. And uh, the other half of the crowd was very upset because they were saying, well, why are the, why are we letting cops in? This, this is going against everything that we've been fighting for for the past, you know, 10 days. Uh, you know, they, they shouldn't be allowed inside. And so that kind of caused some division. Um, but generally, yes, cops aren't allowed uh, inside the zone. Uh, they they are allowing residents because you know there's like. But, but, but hold, hold on, hold, 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 sorry, just just once, just because this is important. This is important. Have cops yeah. tried to go in? I mean, I just I just don't I don't understand yeah. this. Like like if a if a, if a squad car yeah. pulls up, are they saying nope? You're not sorry. Like you're not going into this zone. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, <laughs> a, a few uh, some. Uh, uh, bike patrol officers kind of went to the perimeter of it and, and they were met with the immediate resistance and they didn't allow them inside. So the, the bike cops stayed around for a few minutes, but then they, they, they left. Um, so, so generally, so generally, yes, the cops are not allowed inside. This is amazing. I mean, they've actually then ceded a piece of territory from law enforcement to uh, control to this, this degree of, of like anarchic, Occupy nonsense. I mean, they're, they're, the the city of Seattle yeah. is in on this, right? I mean, so so tell me what else. Yeah. Go ahead. Absolutely, no, absolutely. Because um, one one of the protesting is being led by uh, a very socialist a councilwoman, a councilwoman Shawan. Uh, she she it, that's how they gained access to City Hall because uh, they they marched from the zone to City Hall, and she let them in because she has a key. Uh, to to the building, and so that's how they're able to enter and demand the resignation of, of the Seattle mayor, and so. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. This is being the, the, the city government is taking a uh, appeasement approach to this. Um, and, and as history tells us, appeasement only works as a short term solution. Um, and there doesn't seem to be any plans from the city government uh, anytime soon to, to take back that area. I can't say that the police are working on plans to obviously take because, you know, they didn't want to give up their precinct. This, this, this wasn't their decision. But it's just a matter of if the city government will allow them to take it back. And I can say that it doesn't look like the city is going to allow them to to take back that area anytime uh, soon. To, to the point. And the protesters aren't planning on leaving anytime we're soon. We're speaking to Julio. That's what I want to ask you about. We're speaking to Julio Rosas uh, of townhall.com, who was just in the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. I appreciate you explaining also why they call it Capitol Hill, because that's the neighborhood in Seattle, because it seems like what does this have to do with what's going on on Capitol Hill in D.C.? Um, and I know that people have had yeah. that question for a while, but I, I also need to just w- w- get your sense of, you know, Occupy Wall Street, which I, I covered from the very beginning until the very end, as did a, a million other journalists. I think there are more journalists than people actually occupying it at the time. But I was there for all of it. And it was clear. I mean, at one point they set up, you know, green um, you know, military surplus tents. And, you know, they had generators and people were donating stuff. And it was clear they weren't going anywhere for months. Is that what you're seeing with the yeah. Capitol Hill autonomous? And by the way, have they officially changed the name or is that still under underway? Any of both of those questions? Yeah. So they're, they are, they're really trying to call it CHOP now. That's what they're really trying to call it now. But but most, I'm, I'm still calling it Chaz because that's how most people still know it. Right, right. It was the first week. 
Um, yeah, no, they're, they're not planning on leaving anytime soon. I mean, they're, they're, even if people aren't planning on staying out there, you know, we have to remember, right, this is a very progressive city. This is a very liberal city. So uh, the, 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 the neighborhood is generally supportive uh, of, of this of this zone occupation. And so they're, uh, they're, they're donating all sorts of food, you know, non-perishable water, uh, toiletry items, uh, tents, clothes. So uh, from the time that I got there on Tuesday, which is like really the first full day of them getting control of this area till when I left uh, early Sunday, uh, there, there's probably about like close to like 80 tents set up. And, and, I, and I know that there's more that have been set because there's a park right next to it. And that's where they're kind of staying. There, there's some tents uh, inside the zone, like on the street, but, um, you know, they're, they're planning on being there for the long haul because they, they, they're using this as a bargaining chip to uh, call, to have the city, uh, defund and dismantle the police department. Um, but th- that's just the first demand. They really want to, they really want to use this as a springboard to, uh, advance some of their other, uh, progressive agendas, like more taxation on Amazon and, and big corporations in the city funding, more funding towards social justice programs. Uh, so th- this is yeah they're they're not going to give it anytime soon and they're, they're going to stay there as long as the government allows them to stay there. And I I need to ask you were were you um, when you were there did you feel like your safety was an issue at all were were you uh, telling people you were journalists or were you just kind of incognito <laughs> going around? Yeah, so I did not identify myself as a journalist, <laughs> not not slayers. And, and and the reason for that is is because uh, there was a local Fox reporter uh, for the local station. She was mobbed uh, on Monday night, and, and so and I can say that uh, the, the the zone is very much operating in in, in a way like North Korea does, in, in the sense of they they are more than happy to show the media all the good side of it. You know the the you know the the block party atmosphere and all that. And of course the media is more than happy to run with that. But as soon as something as soon as fights start breaking out, which happened a lot, and or some, you know, bad things were happening in the zone and I started recording that, I was approached multiple times to not record that because and they said they didn't want it on the internet because they or else it was going to give the zone a bad name. And it's like, well, it's happening right out in the open. Like this is not like this isn't happening in the street. This isn't happening in some like dark secluded room. And did did you did you and, see and so, did, yeah. did you see people uh, open carrying firearms as well? Because that was that yeah. was a big a big part of this. Which I mean, and I, I suppose semi-automatic rifles inside city limits in Seattle. I, I suppose that's legal. Do you know? Is that is that the case? And then you know, for example, here in New York, yeah, you can have rifles. Yeah. You know, there's guns in the state that you can't have in the city. So I'm assuming the Seattle stuff. Those were legal weapons that were being held, at least as far as we know. But are you still seeing people walk around with guns? Because that was not at Occupy Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. No. People are there with with guns. And, and, and the thing that I, I want to stress here, because it, it's, it's hard for people that are, aren't in Seattle to report on um, accurately, because it's because it's such a loose coalition of groups. And there's so many different types of people there at any given time. There, there's different. The atmosphere is different. Literally changes by the hour. So, you know, it can be very peaceful one one minute and then it can be very, very dark the next minute just because it's such a free flowing and fluid state in flux. I mean, it, it's just it's really, really weird. And so, yeah, you'll have some people on the barricades that are armed and then the next hour there's people there that aren't, you know, um, it, it, it's just a very is this the best way I can describe it? It's a very fluid situation. There is leadership starting to emerge now just because they've been there for a while and now they're starting to recognize you know, who's kind of in charge. But, I mean, they, they've held that area for almost a week now, and, and they're just now finally starting to, like, solidify, 
a process to like have their voices heard and, and have people call the shots. Are they are they making demands? And then and then also, do we know if there have been any police calls for serious crimes for felonies inside the chop that have not been answered? But but sorry, I'm throwing two questions at you. First, start with the demands, and then tell me about the police calls because I know the Seattle police commissioner seemed to be saying that this is a problem from her perspective. But start with the demands. Yes. So there, uh, as, as I said before, the, the first and foremost, the kind of the common um, demand that everyone has is, is the defunding and dismantling of the Seattle Police Department. And, that, and, that, and that's important because, you know, we have, as this whole debate nationwide about what defunding the police actually means, because, you know, you have Democrats saying, oh, well, it doesn't actually really mean abolishing the police department. But I can tell you that the people that are out in the streets, whether it's here in Minneapolis or Los Angeles or Seattle, they are for the complete abolishment of the respective police department. Uh, and they, they have a list of 30 demands. And, and, and like I said, there's it's a wide range of, you know, more jobs, you know, uh, more uh, programs, more art programs, uh, things, things of that nature. Um, in terms of, I'm sorry, what was the other question again? Oh, just, just also the, the Seattle police commissioner, if, mm. I, if memory yeah. serves, said, you know, that she's gotten a bunch of 911 calls from inside the chop. Um, is, have there been any serious calls that have been unanswered or that the police can't answer because they're not allowed in? Yes. So uh, I know that there was questions about extortion from local businesses. I didn't see any evidence of that. And I believe actually the Seattle police walked back that the businesses were being extorted. But however, uh, one of the station, I believe it was the station, the precinct chief, uh, was telling protesters when they went inside uh, into the East Precinct that their 911 response to that area had increased by 15 minutes because, you know, the streets are blocked off. That's right, yeah. And and, uh, and obviously they're not allowed inside. Generally, you know, they're not allowed to come in full force. So uh, from what I could and, and from last night, there, there was another incident where there was a local business that was accused of holding someone at gunpoint, and obviously police weren't, and, and police weren't allowed to, to respond to that because there is other people from the zone with guns trying to figure out, you know, they're trying to self-police and they were trying to investigate what, what, what went down. And uh, as, as you can tell, obviously it didn't turn out too well. It wasn't a really well, uh, clean investigation. Julio Rosas, everybody doing great work over at townhall.com. Check him out there. Follow him on social media. Julio, great stuff, man. Be careful out there. Okay. And come back and tell us if you go in again, let us know what the chop is up to. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. This is a turning point in the economy. Uh, besides the great jobs numbers, you've had a lot of positive green shoot indicators, Jake, and we don't want to interrupt that. Uh, besides the job figures, you're going to get big, big retail sales numbers reported next week on Tuesday. Uh, already department and merchandise sales week to week are above year ago levels. You've got an Apple mobility index that's practically pre-pandemic showing that people are traveling. You've Right. But new business applications are skyrocketing. And by the way, small businesses are now about 80 percent reopening. So this is all positive news coming off the pandemic. We are in right. the recovery stage. So you have a very clear fight happening right now. One between those who believe that the United States getting reopened and people allowed to return to their jobs, economic activity is a good thing, just irrespective of the politics, that we should all want to happen because it's good for all Americans. 
That is the position now that the White House and most of the Republican Party finds itself in. Uh, the there are some lockdown Republicans, which is mind blowing to me, but it, they do exist. But then again, there's also never Trump lunatics. So who cares? Uh, then on the other side of this, you have the Democrats, the left, who are clearly rooting against an economic recovery. And that's why the way that this gets reported to go back to how the media is the center of really the center of all the country's problems right now. I mean, the, the worst stuff that is happening in America, the lockdowns, the uh, the racial um, discord over the pro, you know, over the, uh, the shootings and then the protests and then the riots and everything else that's happening in this country. All of the things that are going on in America right now that are bad, you can trace to left-wing media capitalizing on and rooting for and promoting throughout the country. To folks who are living in states that aren't overrun by psychotic liberals who are, who are developing their own autonomous zones and such, you, you may be thinking, well, it doesn't really affect me. No, 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 no. As we see, whether it's from the Supreme Court or whether it is from corporations making decisions in major cities that have, you know, they're, they're controlling the... Pro, the programming on your TV screen, they're controlling the social media apps on your computer and, and you know, social media platforms on your computer, the apps on your phone. Uh, don't think that the, the national conversation affects every American everywhere you are, even if you don't care what people are saying day to day in the national conversation. Right. And conversation is too polite a word for it. The propaganda fight that is underway right now. You whether you're listening to this in the most rural parts of West Texas or you're like me, stuck behind insane Democrat lines in New York or Los Angeles or, you know, or Baltimore or name your city. This is going to be a nasty fight in the months ahead, one that affects every aspect of your life, your very freedom to leave your home. Your ability to do your job, the industry you're in, the sector you're in, all of this is being determined by politics, not by the economy. Not right now. They have a lock if they can get it, rather they can keep the control. They will have a lock on every aspect of your day-to-day life. They are drunk with this power. But for them to continue to have it, they've got to suppress and oppress the American people into this fear pandemic. And add on top of that, this, uh, this sense that the country's Race relations are at some kind of, you know, desperate low when that's not the America that we are all actually seeing. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Rock and roll, fellow patriots. We made ours go up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed it is. Roll Call time, everybody. Woo! But first we check in with our buddy, the backbone of all things Freedom Hut, the man... He's not really behind the scenes because you hear from him every day, but, you know, making sure that, like, the trains run on time here and all that. Producer Mark, how was your weekend, sir? Tell us some fun stories. It was good, but how do I make the trains run on time? I can't make you get to work on time. 
Well, we like to pretend that. Oh, we pretend that we're on time. We're like the Long Island Railroad. We're like 10 to 15 minutes uh, late. Always. Yes. Yes. That's that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I also appreciate when you remind me of conference calls and things for work that I have to do um, because otherwise I forget all of those. So thank you for that. Yes. a, A secretary for Buck is now part of my job description. He's he's very good. He doesn't even have one of those like trapper keepers or those planners, but he still manages to remember everything, which I appreciate. Yes, all I do is set a reminder on my phone, which is something you could easily do, but you just forget to set the reminder. You're so much better at it, though. Oh, yes, of course. You do such a good job. Did you have any yummy treats over the weekend? Anything fun with with Mrs. Mark? Oh, yeah, Mrs. Mark uh, went to Trader Joe's and picked up some great stuff, so uh, definitely had some fun with that. Trader Joe's actually pretty gluten-free friendly. That's a good, you know, there's not one anywhere near me in New really? York. And the Snow Princess even asked me over the weekend, do you have a Trader Joe's here? I said, no, it's like, it's a, it's a long way to go to get to Trader Joe's for me. Is Very cookie valuable. butter gluten-free? Probably not, right? I don't think so. Anything cookie, unless it's specifically gluten-free flour, yeah. is not the... Because, I mean, just ask Snow Princess. Cookie butter is like a yeah. godsend. Well, she She's an amazing baker, and she made, and I brought some to my, my parents uh, who live nearby... And she made a peach and blueberry cobbler from scratch. That was the most I had to give a big chunk of it away because, you know, when you have a big platter like that and you realize that this is enough pastry for, you know, 20 servings or something sure. and you realize you've already gone through half of it. That's when it's time to. And, and, and the gym is still not open in my building. So the Same belly here. is just getting bigger yeah. every day. But she made it. It was amazing. And then I tried just because I had some some old bananas, which are the best for banana bread. I made some banana bread um, and she was very sweet and supportive. But my my baking skills versus her baking skills is like all the other radio hosts, except for Rush, who's the greatest of all time, versus the Buck Sexton radio show. It just just doesn't measure up. It just doesn't measure up. I mean, at least you tried. I have good banana bread here. Banana bread. When, it, ooh, when banana bread is good, it is. Uh, with it some is chocolate chips in it, too. Oh, of oh, course, yeah. of course. We're you can't have no chocolate chips in your banana bread. That's yeah. communism. And I, I told the Snow Princess that I want her to start making some uh, cooking videos. And so I've, I've thought about, you know, how we could, we could do that. Because she's really good. Like, she's amazing. I mean, I cook okay. I'm good with red meat. And that's about it. Other than that, I'm like, yeah, throw some, uh, throw some lettuce on the side of the plate. There you go. Complete meal. She does the whole thing. So. I think that's content for our YouTube page, You and the Snow Princess. Little cooking videos. Yeah, I'm just scared to see what all the male comments would be underneath it, but that's okay. Uh, put her in a smock. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to have to put her in a burka, and she can cook in that. All right, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton, uh, or you can go email us, teambuck at iheartmedia.com. Plus, as you know, on Fridays, we do our little freestyle with the voicemail box, and producer Mark loves staying up late at night listening to all your voicemails all week in preparation for it. So that is 844-900-BUCK. Just call in. You'll hear Mark's lovely voice, and then you'll be told to leave a message. 844-900-2825. So there we go. Indeed. Don writes, uh, hey, Buck, you are great, but that producer Mark, what an amazing asset. <laughs> That's how we started off, of course. What an amazing asset to the show. I'm out here in Denver listening to Freedom 93.7. Yeah, Denver. We love our Denver folks, man. Our audience in Denver is rock solid, super loyal, clearly passing the buck, telling other people to listen on Freedom 93.7 in Denver. Please do listen out there. Tell people about it. The COVID hoax has me really steaming. My mom lived in assisted living around the block. They were locked down in March. She went into hospice care in May. 
She passed away last Sunday at 91. Oh, man, Don, I'm so sorry to hear that. I was unable to go see her while she was still lucid in March, April, or May. And then, because I was driving Grubhub and feared I would bring it in asymptomatically, I did not go see her once she was in hospice until the day she passed. At the time, she was already unresponsive. More stories of the deaths of seniors who did not have COVID-19 but died being ripped from family and loneliness are going to come out in delight. Shields high. And one for my mom, Irene. Uh, Don, Irene is in our thoughts and prayers, and, and God bless you and yours. I'm so sorry for your loss. As to your, uh, your points here about the restrictions and the lack of just basic rights that you were afforded for visiting your beloved mother, yes, this has been the case across the country with thousands, with perhaps millions of people now, where they were denied very basic rights because of the social distancing mania. Right. This was it was a mantra that turned into a mandate. You must socially distance or else you're a bad person. Unless you're a protester that's like, yeah, burn things down, break the system. Then you don't have to social distance. Then the Democrat politicians and the media and the left are all fine with it. Uh, It's a disgrace. And people are angry about this and they should be angry. I don't mean that they should oppose. They should be outraged. There should be feelings of fury about what state governments have done to people who they claimed were being reckless if they tried to live their lives. And now, and now they, they just kick the doors wide open for these, these lunatic left-wing crybaby protesters and Antifa and all the rest of it. All this garbage that you're seeing where people are, are complaining about how we don't have a, we haven't spent enough on education or we haven't, you know, we haven't done this or that. And I'm seeing all these all these uh, these liberals in my own city who are just talking about whatever issue they want. It doesn't make no gun control. They show up at these marches. It's nothing to do with anyone's life in terms of protecting life. It's just about, you know, whatever they feel like protesting today. And oh, they all cry and they freak out about it. <sighs> Man, it's, it's really it's really insane. Uh, Ian. Hello, Buck. I really enjoy your show. You are steadily working your way into the pantheon of great conservative voices and leaders. Thanks, Ian. My question is, do you think Keith Ellison has overcharged the officer in the George Floyd case in order to make a conviction more difficult? We already know that he is an Antifa apologist and is diabolical. If there is no conviction, can you imagine what will happen afterwards? Um, Ian, I don't think it is likely that that is I think Keith Ellison is overcharging because that will look good to the people that he's trying to placate and pander to. I don't think he's doing it so that there will be a and remember, they can also I, well, I think it varies depending, but usually they can have uh, the jury can be instructed to go for a lesser count. And so they might charge murder, too, but then also give the jury the opportunity to go for man, you know, manslaughter, which would be murder three. And and so, I no, I don't think that Keith Ellison is overcharging so that there will be an innocent or I should say a not guilty verdict from the jury. And then there'll be more rights. I don't think that's what's going on. I think he's overcharging because then he looks like he's doing everything possible and everything he can to show how terrible this was and to punish this law enforcement officer to the fullest possible extent, including to overpunish him in a sense. I mean, it, it was, to me, this, this case, I mean, it's manslaughter. You know, he should go away for whatever it is, 15 to 20, or maybe it's 20 to life. But 
looking at life pro- possibly without the possibility of parole. That, that That's, you know, your life is ruined. I mean, people get really get into this. If your life is kind of ruined either way, um, he's not this. This guy is going to he's not going to see daylight. This officer outside of a prison cell until he's so old that at, at that point, you know, you'll wonder how, how much time does he really even have left? That's what he's facing. Clay, uh, Buck, regarding shooting up in the air, about 10 years ago, a guy in my MP unit was shot in the shoulder while serving in Iraq. It was due to celebratory gunfire at a wedding a couple blocks away. Shields high. Yeah, Clay, I know. I, I remember there was an officer, a uh, military officer, who was hit in the face. Wasn't, didn't, I don't think it hurt him that, I mean, he got hit, but it wasn't, it was at an angle, so it really was a, more of a flesh wound. But I got hit in the face with an AK round, and it was from the same thing, celebratory gunfire. Yeah, those bullets come down at bullet speed. And they will penetrate, they will go right through. It's like being hit with a bullet. Because that's what it is. So uh, I, I hope the... Well, he's shot in the shoulder. Hopefully he was, he was, just, uh, he was okay from that. But yeah, ever, anybody who spends any time around firearms knows you do not shoot those things up in the air. Uh, you are, that, that is reckless. You are risking lives if you do that. Jacqueline, roll call. All those people... Uh-oh. All those people from Austin are telling the truth. I'm pretty sure you would hate it there. I lived there for three years, and it's full of hipsters, libs, and dirty hippie types. The rest of Texas is okay, but Austin isn't like the rest of Texas. At one time, it was a great place to live, but that time has passed. I find it hilarious that people in New York think Austin is some kind of haven. I assure you, it is not. (laughs) Producer Mark, you don't have to pay these people, you know, from Team from Team Buck, Florida, to keep writing in these emails for us. You know, I know it's a fun narrative to say that I'm doing that, but I swear I'm just copy and pasting these messages that we keep getting. I I have to put some like... I have to not put some in because we get so many of them. I don't know what Facebook group producer Mark has started on the weekends where it's Team Buck Florida uh-huh. represent. Sure. And they're just trashing Austin all the time. But uh, I'm just saying it's working, producer Mark. It's working. We're 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 getting closer and closer to those leases for the uh, the Freedom Hut in Florida. You know, I'll time. take credit if it works. I'll take credit for it. Sure. There we go. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll get some more. We'll get some more people. But the, the question, I you know, where in Florida remains the. Although I, I keep hearing that actually, uh, like Pensacola, the Gulf Coast is great. This is what everyone's telling me. Beautiful beaches, really low qual, a little low cost of living, high quality of living. So you know the Panhandle starting to sound like that could be the place because you know you get down into Miami, a lot of libs, a lot of libs. Beautiful beach, a lot of fun stuff, but a lot of libs. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, roll call continues. And remember, please go check out BuckSexton.com where we are posting from the show. You can also listen to the podcast there, all kinds of fun stuff. And also, um, let's, uh, let's continue to, to, sh- to pass the buck, the podcast. Please tell people about it so we keep having our numbers go up and up and up. Very, very important for all of us. Kate writes in, Hi, Buck. Found your podcast again. Loved you back when on the blaze and so glad I started listening again. Producer Mark is a great ad. Listen to Thursday's show today. How so how ironic is it that the woke libs are refusing to show Gone with the Wind when Hattie McDaniel was the first African-American woman to win an Oscar in 1940 for her role in that movie? You'd think we should be celebrating her. Uh, Well, first of all, great to have you back in the Freedom Hut, Kate, and please do 
spread the word to friends and people in your circle that they can listen to the Buck Sexton Show very easily on podcasts on the iHeart app, on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can just go to BuckSexton.com. The podcast is, is there. And as for, yeah, Gone with the Wind. So I told you, I'm not, I'm not committing to Gone with the Wind. It's just I can't watch a four-hour-long movie. Um, I, can't, I can't do it. Producer Mark has pointed out that there are some good, and Producer Nick also weighed in on this one, that there are some uh, good three-hour-long movies. The Godfather, it's worth it. Of course, Braveheart, the greatest movie ever made, worth it. Um, you know, it's funny. I don't have an all-time favorite book. That would be a tough conversation for or a, t- a tough call for me to make. But Braveheart's the best movie ever made. It's the best movie ever made. People can talk about it. They can say whatever they want. It's the best movie ever made. Um, but I watched Amadeus over the weekend, which uh, was because I forget even how it came out. I think the Snow Princess wanted to watch it. Producer Mark, have you seen it? No. Won eight Oscars back in the 80s, including Best Film, Best Actor, Best Director, completely ran the table at the Oscars. And it's kind of fallen off. I mean, I don't hear people really ever talk about it anymore. I, I don't think it's a great movie. And what I think is so interesting is the concept behind the movie, which is just you have the genius of Mozart. I mean, clearly the soundtrack is some of the most well-known works by Mozart of all time. So you have what is, I think, not arguably, but maybe even clearly, the greatest soundtrack ever devised by humankind set to a movie that's kind of, meh. A lot of this guy's Salieri all the time. You know, oh, yeah, you know, it's, it's all narrated by Salieri, who's played by something Frank Murray, I think is his name. And he won the best actor. Uh, he won best actor for the movie. But it's a lot too much of the Salieri guy, not enough of Mozart. Mozart has this weird, oh, laugh that he does all the time that I find kind of, actually, that was a perfect impersonation for those of you that want to know. Um but I, I don't think I don't think that Amadeus really it's the F. Murray Abraham. Thank you, producer Nick. I don't think that the movie really held up all that well, but it is the it's the greatest soundtrack of all time, which I mean, Mozart is the greatest musical genius of all time, although I, I do love Beethoven and I, there's a part of me that wants to I don't know I, I, that that's like the Hulk versus the thing. I mean, you could argue this one forever, although did they ever did they ever actually fight producer Mark the Hulk versus the thing? Do we know who won? I, 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 not, not off the top of my head do I know that. Maybe okay. in the comics they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. In the comics, did they ever fight and somebody win? Probably. Uh, because Beethoven and Mozart, it's like the unstoppable force versus the immovable object. I mean, they're both such geniuses. But anyway, Amadeus, greatest soundtrack ever of all time, any movie. Movie itself was kind of meh, meh, meh. I wasn't a huge fan. Uh, let's see here. Tim. Hey, Buck, I am shocked that corporate America is siding with the libs. How is this happening? Are they afraid of the mob? Is it their PR department saying that uh, it's time to change the company's mission statement so they can target the prime demographics that are so radical? Or do they think they are flaming libs looking for a reason to show their true colors? It's stunning that super successful companies would sell out to the mob that will come back and feed on them. P.S. I've been a super fan since the first time you came on the blaze Saturday morning. I do miss Commie Bear and Angus, the Scottish guy. I love the history specials you did from the hammer to the siege of Constantinople shields high. Well, Tim, now you're making me feel guilty because I haven't done Malta yet. And producer Mark knows that I haven't done Malta yet because he keeps reminding me. So I'm going to have to do that, even though I know it's two months late now. But, you know, we have been in lockdown. and I've been very, very busy. But, Tim, I love that you love the work that I've done. Thank you so much, including some of the more 
fun and out there and creative stuff. And maybe we'll bring some of that back on the show. I don't know. It'd be fun to do, you know, Angus McManus and uh, Commie Bear. So I'll give it some thought because I'm, I'm feeling, uh, feeling, feeling, you know, energetic these days. That's going to be the show team. Thank you for being here. Pass the buck. Tell somebody about this show. Talk to you tomorrow. Shields high.